So welcome to the webinar today. I'm Sarah from Myosh. Thank you for joining us. The topic today is plugging the holes in holistic safety. It is being presented by Angelina Badry, founder and director of Universal Safety Wellness. So Angelina is a, as I said, the founder um, of Universal Safety Wellness, a vice president of the Resources Training Council, a universal mentor, public speaker and non-for-profit committee director. Her passion is to support, strengthen holistic safety factors associated with the work, workplace and worker, and has driven her to work in the environments exposed to risk with mining, drilling, refining, construction, transporting, and refueling services industries for 17 years. During this time, she has helped clients improve their operational safety performance and avoid process safety incidents. So um, before I hand over to Angelina, I just want to let you all know the session is being recorded, podcast video sent later today or earlier tomorrow. Um, we are going to have some engagement, hopefully, from the audience. Um, so we might even invite you to um, speak if you want. If you want to do that, you can um, raise your hand or just put in the chat. We'll figure it out. We'll unmute you. Um, there's also be a few comments invited in the chat. So thanks for joining us today, Angelina. Over to you. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Sarah. And it's great to have everyone else join us today. Very exciting to be talking about plugging the holes in holistic safety. And I'm sure there's probably already a lot of questions going through your mind around what is that um, and what are we going to be talking about. But I wanted to get stuck in and we'll be asking a question shortly, but I'm going to pose this to you while I share with you my journey. So I'd like you to start thinking about what you believe are the usual triggers for organizations to take action to improve workplace safety. Now, in my journey in different work environments, as mentioned, um, I've come to realize a lot when it comes to the motivations and the appetite around safety in workplaces. Uh, I was very blessed to have uh, had the opportunity to live a, a life as an expat child. So my dad is a petroleum engineer and we got to travel the world thanks to his job. So I definitely appreciated what the industry such as oil and gas has to offer. And I always just saw the best of what that job had to offer. Never really understood the negative impacts any work environment could have on an individual. Until one day, my um, dad actually asked me to go to the hospital with him to visit someone. And I wasn't quite sure who or why. And on that um, day, I just simply put my sneakers on and went in full support. Like I said, not really knowing the, the situation of what I was walking into. Now, as we walked into that hospital and down the hallway, we entered a room of a colleague of his and he was lying on the bed with no other people in that room. And I stood there in the back, just holding space and saw a conversation un unravel in front of me that really changed my mind, my understanding, my whole perception around workplace safety. What I saw was an older gentleman that had been working on location with my dad who was injured. He had his hands that were bandaged and only a few fingers that were visible. He had started talking to my dad with enthusiasm about how he'd be on that site again with him, you know, working on the job, but soon really opened up and expressed his emotion as to why that wasn't the case and how that job um, would actually, that, that incident on that job would really influence and impact um, the outcome for him. So he had a picture of his family that was next to him and he started to share about him being the sole breadwinner for his family and how he knew he would not be returning to that work site and to that job that he had loved very dearly. 
And so for me in that instance, hearing him talk in that way, and then also going to expressing the hardship around not being able to clothe or feed and look after himself essentially, and depending on his family to do so, what that meant to him. And instantly I felt compelled to support organizations and individuals in those work environments to not allow that to be the price to do business and the cost of doing a job. And so I went in and I started working in oil and gas and found a lot of new insights, found a lot about motivators around the appetites in organizations around workplace health and safety. So I'd love to hear if there's been anyone that would like to share any comments around what they believe are the usual triggers for organizations to take action to improve workplace safety. Okay, everyone, if anyone does want to actually speak up, um, please raise your hand or just put in the comments. And um, if you have any other thoughts, just put them in the comments, please. So hopefully I'm showing the comments correctly by the webinar chat. Um, Angelina, just while we wait, see if anyone yes. can comment. Um, I also expat child, 20 schools already. <laughs> wow. And you know, the funny thing is, and I'm sure you, it's probably a bit of uh, a flashback for you. Did you always get any anytime you went to a new country or a new location, you'd always get asked, are you army or oil generally? Because they were the people that would travel. Yeah, mainly, yeah, we were in oil, Malaysia, Spain, all those sort of places. But yeah, the expat communities are amazing, actually. It's a lot closer than a SAYA community. Mm. So mm. it was pretty cool. Um, and I had a few different accents as well. I've had a very Texan accent at one point. Love it. So we have got some comments here. Um, do you want me to read them? CC said, unfortunately, I believe it is after a negative event. Mm -hmm. Um, Chris also said after an event, um, mm -hmm. Daniel said, yes, sadly, usually reactively as a result of an incident near miss or because of audit outcomes. And again, Richard said an accident or an injury. Yep. And you know what? I appreciate you all for sharing uh, your, your thoughts. You're absolutely right. And I'm going to go one step further by sharing with you over my years, what have actually been the three main triggers that instigate those changes. And you're absolutely right. We said it in the first one, um, incidents. So I, when I started in oil and gas, I will tell you one of my shocking conversations I had was with a, um, an executive in an organization who said to me, Angelina, we factor in X amount of dollars for X amount of fatalities per year to operate in this space. And that absolutely blew my mind because the cost of doing business should never be someone's life. And so unfortunately we remained in this space where people would continue to do the same practices, take on the same um, execution of work in order to keep going, even though we were still hurting people. And then we had to forcefully change because you then had incident investigations that required improvement. So we slowly were then trying to instigate changes. But then unfortunately in the industries, not only oil and gas, but in mining, you have construction as well, fatalities continue to occur. And then the next thing that happened in terms of trying to move the needle to improving was legislation. There then became mandated requirements to actually put in measures to mitigate those risks. So from those fatalities, we took lessons learned and we put in practices to try and avoid and mitigate those fatalities from occurring. And so we move one step forward in terms of getting better. 
But however, there are still organizations that have the appetite that sit in that space where we will only do what's mandated. If it's legislative, then I'll do it. If not, I'll still float between the two of understanding that, yeah, people are getting injured and understanding that there's legal obligation. But in between, they tend to sit. And the third motivator tends to be contractual, right? People, organizations get motivated by you know, getting contracts signed, getting those jobs um, actually done. And so generally a lot of contracts will stipulate requirements around safety, especially from that operator, contractor or service pro provider relationship. They will tend to say you must meet or exceed certain expectations in order to do work with us because they don't want to have their risk profile um, worsened by their contractors. So unfortunately, this is still where we sit today when it comes to workplace health and safety. Organizations are still in a space where people are getting injured and we're slowly, yes, doing, trying to make improvements to avoid that, but it still seems to be a rinse and repeat model. We have le legislation in place that yes, is giving us those guidance and identifying how to be better in that space. And we're, we're looking at what our, our obligations are in terms of requirements around doing work. But I'd like to ask you though, do you believe that this is reactive or proactive? Okay, I'll just launch that poll. If people can answer that. And I know it's pretty obvious, right? But it's to emphasize a point of where are we currently at when it comes to workplace safety today? Mm. Okay, we'll just be a couple more seconds, Angelina. It's, it's, it's pretty obvious. Okay, so I'll share those results. Yes. Oh, good to see someone though. We, we, there's opportunity to be proactive. I, I like that in the mix. But generally, yes, a lot of organizations, unfortunately, still remain in a space of being reactive. So what we're going to do... is talk about how we get better. How do we then move into being more proactive, understanding that incidents do occur. So how do they occur? And I'm sure you would have seen, you know, the Swiss cheese model before. This is taking that illustration and using it slightly different. So understanding that yes, we have to have barriers in place to prevent an incident, but I wanna start talking about how we can reframe how we look at that. So we can look at the work as an element, the workplace, as well as the workers. And now if we continue to have all of these failures and gaps in place, we then tend to have ourselves a situation where an incident occurs. And I'll talk more about what this looks like in terms of those aspects. But yet, so we understand that these incidents occur because of failures, because we have areas of, um, let's say fractures in the system. And so what do we do about it? You know, we talk about lessons learned and improving. You know, we do want to be proactive, but what are businesses currently doing? When it comes to those corrective actions from investigations, I'm sure you're all going to agree, we tend to focus on the same uh, corrective actions, which look to better the tools. So we want to improve risk management and safety management systems. Absolutely. Yep. And then we want to also improve the workers' knowledge, right? So we reinduct, we retrain workers on hazards, risks, and controls, but we then also want to refamiliarize them with the paperwork. Let's get back to what we said we were doing. 
And we also wanna tell them to be more careful and to pay more attention next time. How many times in how many investigations have you seen these come up multiple times? Pretty often, I'm sure. So I want you to ponder on this for a moment and ask yourself, how effective, truly how effective, are these at preventing future incidents and dealing with site issues or challenges? If these are truly being able to help us mitigate those risks and improve what we're, we're doing, why are we still having incidents? Interesting thought. Well, when you look at the actual data, right? And sadly, data is an indicator that is a, a conversation leader and fatality data does not lie. So when you look at um, Australian work fatalities since 1980 to 2021, you can see a trend, right? Initially, we had a decrease. So we were, we were doing, we were getting better. And then suddenly we hit a period between 2018 where unfortunately there were no improvements. Yes, 2018, there's a bit of an anomaly, but unfortunately we kind of plateaued. And we hit this zone of diminishing returns. So organizations, as you can imagine, right, see that there's a lot of investment put into improving the work and the workplace, things around the worker. And yet we're still having these incidents. So there's a perception then of, well, is it ever going to get better? And is this just the cost of doing business for us in these industries, in workplaces? And I'd like to challenge that because in order for us to do something differently, in order for us to improve performance, we have to realize that having the same old thinking, and I'm sure you've all seen and heard this before, provides you with the same results. And those results aren't that great, as I just showed you in that graph, right? We're still having people who are losing their lives. So I wanna kind of veer off and take us in a different direction to share a different way of how we can actually achieve a better outcome. And I can tell you this because hand on heart, this is what I've been doing for over 17 years in those work environments where the cost, if something goes wrong, is catastrophic and unforgiving. So what does that look like? It's about understanding that there's a total risk of occupational safety that is shared between three things as I've been mentioning. There's the work. So what does that mean? There's the conditions. How are tasks actually physically being executed? We look at the workplace. So what are the processes that exist in that work environment? And the worker, what are those behaviors that they demonstrate, their understanding, that accepted norm? Now, the problem as we see it is that we do more of these three things for safety than we have ever done before. And yet we were doing it better than before, right? So a lot more improvements around safety systems. There's more engineering, more technology advancements. I will never negate the fact that there have been improvements made around those spaces and attempts to do so, right? But there's something that's missing in this approach. What is it? Why is it that if we're investing all this time, effort, energy, resources, that we're still not quite getting it right? Well, we tend to focus on what's going on around the worker those exterior influences. And we seem to be ignoring the fact that what happens around the worker has also a lot to do with what's going on within the worker. We tend to realize that yes, there's conscious control going on within our minds, but how do we then improve behaviors? 
And it's not about just saying, as we started in the, in the initial um, presentation about just tell people to you know, pay more attention or be safer, that doesn't quite do it. What we need to do is understand how we can plug the remaining holes and be more holistic around having those things in place. Because in order for us to do this, this is how we can truly strengthen the performance around workplace safety. And now, as I mentioned in the beginning, I'm sure you're wondering, well, what does a holistic process look like? What does that mean? I know initially when people hear the word holistic, they think you're gonna come out with some incense sticks and bring out your crystals. And it's not about that. It's about understanding that there's different aspects around the work, the workplace and the worker that we need to, to look at. And the first step that we need to consider is actually starting with a baseline. So identifying where your starting point is in where those holes exist in those areas. So we assess the work, the workplace, and the worker. So what does that actually mean? If I assess the work, what does that look like? Well, it's about actually getting out and observing and evaluating what tasks are being conducted, why they're being conducted, how and which tools are being used. So really being specific to that environment, to that location, to that business, and seeing what your footprint actually is and how people are doing the job and what's needed to do the job. We then look at assessing the workplace. So observing and evaluating what's going on around the worker. So this is an example is about not only the processes, the systems that are in place that support them do their job, but what about the culture? What are the unwritten rules or the accepted norms? What's the way that people talk about how business is done on that site or within that organization? That gives you a big indication of how work is actually being done and created in that environment. And then the third is also assessing the worker. So observing and evaluating workers' state of well-being. Now, well-being is around mental, emotional, and physical understanding how they're actually performing and what the accepted norms are because that can influence their state of being. So a lot to really consider and digest, um, but very crucial. Now, when doing these holistic safety assessments, I've been doing this with over a number of organizations in Australia, and I'm gonna share with you some of their results. So when they've actually undertaken it internally, they've identified that they've given themselves 85%. So score is zero to 100. Um, they think that they're doing pretty well. When it comes to the work, we're 85% in the green. Um, the workplace, 90. And when it comes to the worker, 50%. Um, I'd be interested, and I'm going to open it to discussion to hear, why do you believe organizations have given them this high rated score? And do you consider them to be accurate? When you think about the incidents and the performance and the, the, the way business is actually being done, how accurate do you think it is? Okay, so um, if you can pop um, your thoughts in the chat, everyone, please. Or if you want to. So why do you think they're giving themselves a high, a high score, what well, gives them that confidence? And is it accurate? Um, Gary, hi Gary, nice to see you here. 
Guy said earlier, I agree with Philip Bayard, this is why maturity models are problematic. Um, Pauline says it's a false security of executives. Um, Philip says the fallacy of human error causes incidents and stifles real progress. And Crystal says, I don't believe it is accurate. It's easier to focus on why it is not going well on the worker. Um, Chris says it's not so accurate in reality. And uh, Richard says confirmation bias, we do it well. Tom says work imagined versus work is done. Brilliant. Um, Charles says executives are too far removed from reality. So why is that? You guys have all given such great insights. Can we go a little bit deeper? So there is, we're saying there is a gap and yeah, they're overly confident. Why? Um, Marie says, think they put everything in place. Okay, well, I think that's that for the comments. All right, brilliant. So yeah, you definitely have, have a lot of insights which are quite on the money. And interestingly, so when I go out and actually conduct the assessments as an external um, provider, there's a big difference, right? What we're finding is actually the reality is not as they perceived it to be. So they tend to sit a lot lower around the work, the workplace, and extremely low when it comes to the worker. And this is interesting, right? Because it's looking at how they're actually executing the work. So if you recall back to those slides when I talked about how we're assessing the work, the workplace and the worker, and it's not only just about those observations, but doing a deep dive to understand the why, it's fascinating because you look at their assumptions and it's quite a big gap. When I actually go in and we look at those performance datas and someone said it, which is great, there's this whole work as, work as perceived and a, you know, work as intended versus work as done. And so although there are certain documents and processes in place, there's then this false comfort and this assumption that, well, if I do have, let's say a safety health management system in place, then that, that enables us to, to truly mitigate the risk. Not understanding, does it really identify also the activities in their organization? Is it relevant to their footprint? So what I find is a lot of organizations with good intent will also adopt these measures and, and bring in um, these additional improvement opportunities and, and processes that aren't reflective of their organization. So there's a big gap. And an example when it comes to then the work as well is poor change management, as an example. I was on a location and unfortunately the, the organization had a number of hand injuries um, that had been occurring. And so they mandated the requirement to use the high impact resistant gloves. One thing that was interesting is when I went on to location then to also observe the activities that were being done, right? Getting, getting to know what people do, why they do it, how and with what tools. I then started to see different work groups who conducted different tasks, right? You've got mechanics working on heavy vehicles. You've got operators out in the field. You have different people with different focuses, different tasks and different ways of doing their job. 
And suddenly as I'm observing individuals working on equipment, having to really use their hands in, in delicate positions, let's say as a mechanic, um, no longer you having gloves on. And when I went to go and then engage in a conversation, it was clear to, to me why they actually made the choice not to use them because they weren't the right glove for the job. And yet it was mandated that those gloves, those high impact resistant gloves were the ones that were only to be used. And so it made it difficult, challenging, even impossible in certain situations to be able to grip certain equipment and um, utilize their, their hand the way that they needed to. And so when having conversation and going back to an organization, it was clear, right? Change management processes hadn't been executed, but there was never an understanding and an engagement of what needs to be done, why does it need to be done, and what ways do we need to then better ensure that we're executing with the intent of actually preventing hand injuries um, a better outcome. And so what do we do differently to improve performance? Organizations are focusing on a number of things. And as I mentioned before, I don't want to negate the fact that businesses aren't attempting to do a lot in the space of improving safety. So they tend to get better equipment. We add more rules and procedures. We acknowledge and consider that cultural changes need to be driven by leadership. And we, we invest a little bit of energy in, and time in that. And then we um, acknowledge that having knowledge and using conscious control is something that is, um, is relevant. But what could we do more? What could we also focus on, right? How do we layer on the ability to improve? By better, better skilling supervisors and looking at how they schedule work, we're able to really identify a big area of improvement. When a number of investigations have been done around fatalities and significant incidents, there's been a, a lot of identification around failures, around having adequate supervision, adequately trained and competent people, um, looking at schedules of work and having realistic timeframes to execute the work. So something so simple as us saying that has such an impact. Going out and actually consulting more effectively with the workers is crucial. Having them actually be part of the solution and part of the conversation really enables organizations to adequately look at their footprint, have a better understanding of how work's done, as I was talking about before, and ways that we can improve our performance. And the third one is building skills and habits to help people be more attentive. That can be a challenging one, but that's going to be something I'm going to be speaking more about. So safety has relied too much on conscious control and doing things around the person, as we've mentioned, without giving enough consideration to what we now know is actually going on in the brain. So new research maps brain activity as it happens. Brain chemicals come into play at crucial moments. Brain science shows that up to 95% of what we do originates in the subconscious. Crazy, right? When we looked at our initial holistic model, and we talked about that identification and recognition of conscious control, how much is left behind around that subconscious mindset. What we know now from brain science is that people don't do most things out of choice. And I'm sure you would have heard it and you would have said it numerous times. People don't choose to also harm themselves or put themselves in a position where they're negatively impacted in their work environment. They do most things out of habit. 
And that's something that I wanna talk more about. There are four brain modes of human behavior. We spoke about this one earlier, conscious control. We also have impatience, fatigue, and autopilot, the big one. Now, how do the four brain modes come into play? Well, if there's something novel or different, that's us being in that conscious control where we're focused and we're needing to pay more attention. When something is familiar or it feels safe, we then are on autopilot and that is our habits. If we're short of time or something is something, if we're short of time or something in our way is preventing us from taking action, um, we become impatient and we take shortcuts. If we have low energy, we're fatigued, we then make poor decisions. This represents that 95% subconsciously driven actions. And as we mentioned before, the remainder is 5% and that's conscious. So the downside of the three subconscious brain modes results in higher levels of inattention. Now that's caused by once again, being in autopilot, impatient or fatigued. Now these result in us being exposed and harmed when in the line of fire, having slips, trips and falls or having overexertion occur. Now here's an interesting one. And I keep talking about that 95%, but inattention is in play in 95% of accidental injuries and can be predicted by using this pattern. So take a moment and think about that. When you've done investigations or you've seen the outcome of investigation reports, do these come up? Can you identify a trend when it comes to there being the presence of impatience, fatigue, or someone being on autopilot? It's interesting, right? So what is the missing occupational safety piece? Working with the subconscious to help people be safer. Yes, we need to focus on conscious control as mentioned and things around the worker, but we also need to start to focus on doing things with the worker to help them deal with autopilot, impatience and fatigue. If we wanna to go to the next level, we need a whole brain solution. We need to be able to recognize what influences our in the moment behavior the most. So as I mentioned, right, what's actually going on with the worker when they're on the tools, on the job site and on location that day. More holes appear when, worker, when the worker does things on autopilot, impatience, or fatigue. So what tends to happen is that redu reduction of strengthening those capabilities to mitigate those risks. More, form, more holes are then visible because of that. And so I want you to think about the percentage of work incidents that involve inattention and present as poor in the moment decisions. Think about in your workplace. This will be a good one to open up to the group. What percentage of work incidents do you believe involves inattention when incidents occur on your site? Out of 100, what do you think? 
<clears throat> just while we're waiting for people to add that percentage, um, Gary's wanting to know the source of the 95-5% stats. And Pauline says 80%, Cece says 80%, Richard at least 50%, Zoe 75%, Tom inattentional distraction 85%, Steve 90%, uh, Marie 65%. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so there's been a lot of studies done in neuroscience around the mapping of the brain. And a lot of research has indicated where those percentages have come from. I'm happy to share with the group also a resource um, around uh, neuroscience and brain mapping uh, that you can look more into the, the scientific references. But in terms of also everyone's reference points, yeah, you're actually pretty much on the mark, right? When it comes to when in terms of even reported cases and looking at investigations, the actual percentage has been around that 81 to 100 with an average of 93.7%. So quite a significant um, you know, aspect of looking at inattention as a contributing factor um, causing incidents to occur. And so given that we've looked at these different aspects, I'm interested then if you could identify out of 100 in each of these categories, what percentage of corrective action do you believe organizations then put energy and invest into around each of these three different areas? So the work, improving it, looking at those conditions, eliminating the hazard or control, um, control of the risk, processes, so the workplace, how much do they then invest in improving the system? And then the third comes to the worker. So behaviors, dealing with the subconscious brain modes. So if you can put in the chat here a C for conditions and the percentage that you think, a P for processes and the percentage you think for that, or a B, or and a B for the behaviour and the percentage for that. Sorry if that's a bit confusing. We were going to do a poll on this, but I uh, last minute I said, Angelina, we can't have polls with that ask for present percentages. So... Yeah, if you could just put it in the chat, that would be good. Just, um, yeah, C and a percentage, P and a percentage, and B and a percentage. Thank you, Chris. Chris says um, uh, conditions 50%, processes 50%, and behaviours 0%. Um, Tom says conditions 50%, processes 40 behaviours 10 Steve says, Conditions 20%, processes 70, behavior 10%. Katie says some um, conditions 40%, processes 50, and behaviors 10%. Marie says conditions 30%, processes 60, behavior 10. Um, Richard, conditions 20, processes 70, behavior 10. Zoe, conditions 50, processes 40, behavior 10. Brilliant. And I think everyone can read the rest. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Thank you all for sharing. And you know what? Whilst there are variances, you're definitely identifying a trend, right? In terms of then where that energy tends to be focused. And the two main areas are around the work and the workplace. 
and not too much with the behavior. And we have found the same when it comes to looking at organizations and doing deep dives in terms of their investigations and how they've then put into play corrective actions to look at mitigating it. They do focus a lot on the work. So the conditions, how do we actually eliminate those hazards um, as well as the processes, so the systems. And I'm sure you can all appreciate that, right? We always have improvements around safety health management systems and the tools and the procedures, but it's quite challenging when you think about it, right? When we talk about people, behaviors, their mind, it can be challenging. So people tend to focus on what they can um, feel like they can put their hands on and actually um, make some improvements on. So this is currently where a lot of energy is being placed when it comes to looking at improvements in organizations. And so if we wanna do something different, as we mentioned, we have to change that approach. We have to be able to help organizations really kind of level that out a little bit more when it comes to, as we mentioned, people and their ability to plug those holes at different aspects of engaging when doing the work, when in the workplace, we have to really understand that it's a holistic model that will help us get there. And so what I'm going to share with you is the holistic safety roadmap. But I'd like to ask you firstly, um, if you if the business that you're in actually has their own holistic safety roadmap, do they know where they currently are, what they need to do to actually improve safety performance in their workplace that considers all three aspects of the work, the workplace and the worker? Is this, a, this isn't a poll, is it, Angelina? This no, is just a yes a, or no. Just yeah. A, yeah. Because it'd be great to hear if, I'd love to hear what you have out in your work environments what's you know put into play to help you get to to where we need to get to which is better right well i think so far it's a resounding no uh yep well you're not alone it tends to be the case oh, Pauline says they have words but actions that don't match yep <clears throat> very common and can be very frustrating Yeah, well, we have no no yeses, Angelina. Okay. Yep. Perfect. Well, that you're well, it's not really perfect. I can say, shouldn't say that, but it's in line with a lot of other organizations. And one of the things that I'm adamant on doing is sharing with you um, my insights and and the roadmap that does help businesses actually improve their performance, build empowered workforces, and creating which create safer work environments. And what has worked and what continues to work is having a roadmap in play which allows you to first undertake that baseline assessment, identify where the holes are in the work, the workplace and the worker, then outlining the potential improvements and inspire a journey towards it. So really creating a, a, an improvement plan that fits your organization because you know your starting point. If you've done that baseline and you truly have an indication, as we mentioned, remember the perceptions that were so skewed and people can, feeling, can feel very comfortable that they're managing their business to then being provided with a reality of where the business is, where those holes are, and then what they can do to plug those holes and taking that next step to also then empower people's ability to 
think, feel, and act holistically. So acknowledging that brain science um, that we were talking about and ways to then strengthen that subconscious ability to really strengthen their ability to build the habits that will keep them safe. And then the third one, we always have to continuously review our performance and look to see how we can improve. Someone mentioned it before in terms of, you know, the maturity model and, and looking at things in that way. It is important to understand that everyone is on their own journey and organizations based on their maturity are at different starting points. But it's important to understand that we do have the ability to get better and to go on, an, on a journey where we can truly change those statistics that um, we spoke about. We have the ability really in this you know, conversation, in the work environments that we're in to be change agents. It's about having the ability to have those empowered conversations to provide a roadmap and the ability for those decision makers, those leaders in an organization to think things differently and to understand that there is a different approach for us to get a different outcome. As I mentioned, if we think about things differently and take a different action, we'll be able to have a different outcome, which is what we're wanting to do in terms of improving safety performance. Now, I know I started off talking about the statistics around fatalities and how they're, they're still um, consistent. What we need to do is then also recognize that if we actually want to improve, let me go back, um, and we wanna get better, utilizing a model and that roadmap to change and improving and focusing on the worker around the habits does get you results. So I'm sharing with you some statistics of total recordable injury frequency rates. And I know we all hate using lagging indicators, but it tells you a, a, a story and it takes you on a journey. Um, the, this is the triffer of two open cut mines. The blue and yellow are um, open cut, sorry. And the green is an underground mine. And you can see here that there's been a significant reduction in their triffer. Um, Initially, there's a big drop in the, the first two years when they embedded a program that looks at building safer habits. Um, and then in areas plateaued when people kind of stepped away from the program and then another reduction. So it shows you the more that we can actually invest in building that empowered workforce, the more we can actually improve and get um, improvements in many ways. So this is a statistics of global coal mining companies that have also undergone um, the use of the roadmap and the holistic and habit safe programs. And you can see that their actual safety records are three times better than the industry average. They had site reduction um, of equipment damage by 60% on average and overall just fantastic improvement. Now, working also with global manufacturing companies, you can also see more statistics, more improvements, but also important to show, right? You'll probably sit there going, well, Angelina, yeah, you've got a drop and then what happened in the middle? Well, the organization, when they um, took on the program, like with anything, right, we have to nurture the development of individuals. We have to nurture and invest in continuously engaging and supporting anything to be successful. So there was a initial use of focusing and building on those safer habits and then organizations tend to get very comfortable then and say well you know what we've got an improvement then with our, our performance we're going to ease off and not can continue to put in as much effort and, and follow along with the programs in terms of longevity 
And then what tends to happen? People revert back to what they're accustomed to doing, right? We talked about a lot about habits today. So people revert back to their habits um, that don't necessarily provide them with a better outcome. So you can see in terms of then the upkeep and then the organizations came back to then reinitiate the program that there was a continued reduction in those injuries. So workers' compensations were reduced. Um, they had improvement of frontline supervisor engagement uh, and initiatives around working with the worker. So just overall improvements. Now, coming back to just really summarize, what has helped improve safety the most? it's really doing things with the worker. Once again, not negating, there's a necessity when it comes to that holistic model that you do have those processes embedded, you have the right tools, you have the right culture that supports them also become empowered, but doing things with the worker is critical. We need to be able to use a constructive, no blame, no fault process that helps people deal with autopilot, impatience and fatigue. When we get the frontline supervisors engaged to help people do the practice, this is required. So having people engaged, building an empowered workforce really is a game changer. And so I thank you so much for allowing me to share the holistic safety model and hopefully sparking you thinking of how do you approach those three different elements around the work, the workplace and the worker. I am always engaged and love having conversations and connecting with people to further share insights around the holistic safety model and what I do. There is um, a, a QR code to my LinkedIn profile. I'm quite active there and share a lot of insights. I'd love to connect. There's my email and um, website address as well. Happy for you to once again, reach out and connect. But I also wanna leave you with something. I want you to take the time and do an actual holistic safety challenge yourself. This is an introduct introductory safety challenge that will enable you to see where you sit in terms of those percentage around the work, the workplace and the worker. Are you managing them or is, is there the, are there areas where you can improve? It's a very simple 12 question um, challenge that will give you a, a good starting point. One thing that I'd recommend when you're doing this is really challenge your thinking. So some of the things that we spoke about today, right? Perceptions, work as done versus work as perceived. How, when you answer your questions, are you able to demonstrate through evidence that you're truly mitigating those risks or what you have in place, you can, you can show through evidence. Something that people tend to be quite challenged with, right? It can be the accepted norms or things that we say, but you can't necessarily show or demonstrate how you're doing that. So it's not really effective in that space. So I'd love to open it up if anyone has any questions. Sarah, did you add in those links? Did, yes. <clears throat> Perfect. Okay. Uh, yes, so we've put the links in there. I just want to remind everyone that the email will go out later today. We'll put the links in the email and also um, the um, links to the recording and um, oops, um, um, your email address probably to Angelina. So if anyone has any questions for you directly. Um, but yeah, I think that's um, all good. Um, so...
Thank you for joining us today, Angelina. I'd be interested to chat more about your your expat, expat life because it is yeah. quite unusual. Oh, um, for sure. Crystal says thank you. Um, and Marie says thank you. Steve says thank you. And My pleasure. Okay. Well, um, everyone, hope you have a great uh, rest of your week. And um, thank you, Angelina. It's great. Thanks. My pleasure. Take care. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye.